Well, good morning. Welcome to Genesis. My name is Michael. I serve as one of the pastors and want to thank you for taking time on a Sunday morning to join us of our series called Hey Jesus, where we're looking at questions that people ask Jesus. Now, before I jump into the first question that we're looking at, imagine if I told you that I was starting to doubt whether or not Jesus was really the Messiah that I was starting to doubt if Jesus was really the one that could make any one of us actually right with God. How would that make you feel if those were the doubts that I was actually having? Would my doubts anger you, or would they frustrate you, or would they surprise you, or maybe confuse you? Or would the doubts that I'm having, would they actually... Would you relate with them? Would you even sympathize with me because you're like, I've been there. I know exactly what that is like. How would my doubts about Jesus being the Messiah actually impact you? I'm guessing some of you would say, Michael, you need to take a break. Or some of you would say, you don't need to take a break. You actually just need to step down from your role because the role you have, you cannot be having those types of doubts about Jesus. It's safe to say we have all had doubts before at some point along the way. I know I certainly have. I think for some people, the doubts have just looked like doubting the existence of God. Or for other people, maybe the doubts of, I just doubt the goodness of God, or I doubt the faithfulness of God, I doubt the kindness of God, or God's provision. I know for me, as I look back through my story, what I have doubted the most is simply doubting the love of God. How could God love me when I have done so many unlovely things throughout my life. So, what about you? What doubts have you battled with over the years? What doubts are you even battling with this morning? What I would want to submit to all of you this morning is this. Doubt is it's part of the journey. And I would actually say it's an important part of our journey because it's in our doubts that we begin to grow in knowing and understanding God and who God is and what God is like. But the key to understanding what I would just call biblical or healthy doubt is this. Are you doubting to believe or are you doubting to disbelieve? Because there is a significant difference between these two. Doubting to disbelieve is that person that no matter what you tell them, no matter what you show them, they will continue to doubt because they're not looking to actually believe what they doubt. They are uh, primarily seeking to disprove what, uh, disprove what they don't ultimately want to believe. For example, this is the individual who says, I don't really believe in God, but I'll take a shot. If God would just maybe strike down lightning at this exact moment in this exact place, I swear I'll believe that God is real. And then God actually does that. And then what happens is, well, that's, that's a total coincidence. They're doubting to disbelieve. They don't ultimately want to believe. They're doubting in order to disprove what they don't want to believe. And then you have the person who is, they're doubting to believe. They're just the person, I just need some help. They need some intervention. They need some assistance in order to get them where they ultimately want to be, to a place of faith, to a place of trust, to a place of passionate belief. I think of the father who had a very young son who meets Jesus, and the son is very sick. And Jesus says to this father, do you believe that I can do this? And the father's response is, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. 
So there's doubting to disbelieve, and there's doubting to believe. Now, why all this talk about doubt? I thought this was a series on questions, specifically questions that people ask Jesus. Well, as we talked about last Sunday, questions reveal what's going on inside our hearts. And the question that we look at this morning is reveals doubt in the heart of a person that you would least expect to have doubt in their heart. And what I don't want anyone to miss this morning before we look at this question that was posed to Jesus is this. Doubt is part of the journey, but it is not the destination. Doubt is part of our journey, but it is never the destination. Jesus is not afraid or even put off by our doubts. He meets us in our doubts, but He does not leave us there. So here's the question that was posed to Jesus. It's in Matthew 11, chapter 3. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus, I want to know, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? What a great question, such an important question that is asked. And I think the assumption with this question would be, well, this question has got to be coming from someone who either is exploring faith, or maybe someone who is absolutely brand new to faith. Well, would it shock you to know that this question came from someone who passionately convinced thousands and thousands of people that Jesus was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah? Tim Keller. I'm a huge fan of Tim Keller. He's 69 years old. Uh, is a man who's just walked with God for most of his life and has encouraged a lot of people along the way to do the same. Imagine if Tim Keller began asking the question, gosh, is Jesus really the Messiah? Imagine if Tim Keller started asking that question, what would you say to Tim? Wouldn't you want to say to him, Tim, what are you talking about? How could you possibly be asking this question if Jesus is really the Messiah? Tim Keller, you have written dozens and dozens and dozens of books on Jesus. You've preached countless numbers of sermons on Jesus. How could you even think to ask such a question like this? Well, in the same way that it would shock us to have someone like Tim Keller or maybe John Piper, or maybe Beth Moore, or maybe Jen Wilkins question whether or not Jesus is in fact the Messiah, it would have been even more shocking to have John the Baptist, the one whom God called to prepare the way for Jesus, begin questioning whether or not Jesus was in fact the Messiah. The one asking this question, are you the one, is none other than John the Baptist. Now, if you're not familiar with John the Baptist, I want to read to you just a snapshot of who this man is. If you have a Bible, you can read with me. This is in Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness, and he began preaching. And his message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River." But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. 
you brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, first key observation uh, about this guy, John the Baptist, is this. He was way ahead of his time when it came to fashion and diet. This is a guy that would not be caught wearing skinny jeans or eating at sweet green. John was a huge, huge hit with people, the crowds. Thousands of people were flocking to see this man and to hear this man preach. And when the crowds heard him speak, repentance and baptisms by the thousands. So by all ministry standards, John was killing it. It was evident and it was so clear that God's blessing is on this man. John was loved by the people, but he was absolutely hated by the religious leaders. They were jealous of him. But what I love about John was that he was not afraid to go toe-to-toe with the religious leaders of the day. His favorite term for the religious leaders was, you brood of snakes, which is not a term of endearment. John was loved by the people, hated by the religious leaders, but John was not looking to just win the crowds over to himself. He was looking to do one thing. He was looking just simply to point people to Jesus. And when Jesus began his public ministry, John was the first one to declare with great confidence and great conviction that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. He is the Christ. When John saw Jesus coming towards him, and this is recorded in John's gospel, it says this in John 1, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. So my question is this, how does John the one who was called by God to prepare the way for Jesus, go from having this bold, passionate belief about Jesus as the Messiah to asking the question, are you, in fact, really the Messiah? I mean, to have John asking this question, I don't know, it just seems very out of place for this question to be coming from him. What happened to John? How did his heart get filled with all of these doubts? I think the answer is pretty simple, two things, prison and an imminent death. Introduce those two things into your story, and it's a good chance that doubt within your heart will begin to surface. I'm guessing at some level, all of us can relate to this. Okay, maybe not to prison and imminent death, but I'm guessing we can relate with remembering a time in your life when your faith, it was flourishing, It was an unwavering faith. It was an unshakable faith. Only to have that unwavering, unshakable faith flooded with doubts when things in your life took an unexpected turn. Say, for example, like a worldwide pandemic. Doubts start to creep in. Or maybe the diagnosis with a disease, whether it's cancer, comes in. Doubts begin to surface. Or maybe you lose your job, doubts begin to surface. Or maybe things in your marriage are going in a direction you definitely don't want them going, doubts begin to surface. Or maybe the marriage that you're longing to have and it's not happening, doubts begin to surface. Or maybe an addiction that you thought you were free from has now surfaced again, 
And when the addiction comes, doubts begin to surface within our hearts. I think it's a rarity that doubts are birthed within our hearts after you receive a job promotion or after a wedding proposal or after you welcome the birth of a new child or after a friend of yours comes to faith. Doubts usually surface when those things aren't happening. So for John, he's got a thriving ministry, but it's come to a crashing halt. And when John is seemingly just cast aside and forgotten about, and thrown into prison, and the reason he's thrown into prison is because he called out King Herod for his sexual exploits. Well, this is that moment for John, and I think for us, when things go the way we don't want them to go, we start thinking, Jesus, I know you can do something, so why aren't you doing something? I know you can do something about the situation, the story I'm in, so Jesus, why on earth are you not doing something for me? Well, because of John's current residence being in prison, he couldn't even ask Jesus the question himself. He had to send some of his friends on his behalf to ask Jesus the question. And this is the the question, the greater uh, part of the story in Matthew chapter 11, start at verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Imagine the journey for these friends of John that they had to go ask Jesus this question. Imagine the conversation that they're having as they're traveling to go get Jesus and ask Him this question. They have to be wondering, guys, what's up with John? Like, what happened that he's asking this question? And I can imagine them beginning to argue of, I'm not going to ask Jesus that question. You're going to have to ask Jesus that question. And I imagine one of his friends piping up say, guys, if John is having these doubts, should we also be having these doubts? I can't even imagine what it was like for John's friends to have to ask Jesus this question. But what's not lost on me, and what I'm thankful for is this, friends who were willing to come alongside John in his doubts. Because his friends, his disciples, clearly could have just said, John, you're an idiot. What is wrong with you? I cannot believe that you're even thinking about these things. His friends could have brought condemnation on him for the doubts that he was having, but they didn't. Now, I'm not sure if you have experienced this before. I certainly hope that you haven't, but too many people within the church are so afraid. They're so fearful to give voice to the doubts that they have because of potential rejection and or condemnation that they would face if people actually knew the doubts that they were struggling with. I don't know if that's happened to you, and I hope that it hasn't, but if it has, I am sincerely sorry. The church must be a place where we can give voice to the doubts that we have so we can encourage one another, so we can actually begin to help one another. Doubts in isolation will always end in despair. Doubts in the midst of isolation will always lead to despair. But thankfully, John's friends were able to go to Jesus on his behalf. Now, I would love to tell you that Jesus' answer to John's question was very simple and straightforward. Something as easy as, yeah, tell him I'm still the Messiah, everything's going fine. Well, 
Let's just say that Jesus didn't go for simple and straightforward here. Instead, he went for something that would stretch and strengthen John's faith. This was Jesus' response to John's question in Matthew 11, starting at verse 4. Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. The good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, I'm going to come to that verse in a second. What a great response that Jesus gives to John's friends in order to give to John. Jesus essentially tells John, John, I'm doing everything that you would expect the Messiah, the Savior to be doing. Blind people, they can now see. Paralyzed people are walking again. People with leprosy, they are being cured. Deaf people are hearing. People who have died are being raised back to life. And to top it all off, John, the good news is being proclaimed. When we hear Jesus' response, we think to ourselves, well, that's great, but what on earth does that have to do with John sitting in prison waiting to be executed? Well, what John would have heard in Jesus' response is Jesus quoting sections of the prophet Isaiah that spoke about the coming Messiah and specifically what the Messiah would do. These are some of the sections of Isaiah that John would have been very well familiar with. Isaiah 35, and when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Or in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, if Jesus would have just stopped there, this would have been a clean and simple answer to take back to John. John, there is no need to have doubts. The Savior is being the Savior as you expected. But then Jesus says something that's at best very curious. In verse 6, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Why on earth would anyone stumble or fall away because of the miracles that the Messiah was doing? Can you ever envision a response where you would say, you know, there's too many dead people coming back to life. If one more dead person is raised back to life, I'm out of here. I can't believe this anymore. Or if there's just one more healing If there's one more person who gets their their sight back or their hearing back or one more paralyzed person starts walking again, I'm just done believing in this Jesus. This list of miracles that Jesus gives would fuel faith. It wouldn't cause doubt. So why would Jesus say, blessed is anyone who does not stumble or fall away on account of me? I wrote this answer in my journal like this. Doubt came not from what Jesus was doing, but from what Jesus wasn't doing. Doubt for John came not from what Jesus was doing, but from what Jesus wasn't doing. As John sits in prison, hearing about all of the wonderful things the Messiah is doing, John is left to wonder to himself, Jesus, I'm familiar with Isaiah. What happened to the second part of Isaiah 61 verse 1, where it says, He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim 
that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. So from a prison cell, John is left to ponder and wonder, hey Jesus, I'm a prisoner right now. Why aren't you dropping everything to come set me free? I've seen you come through for so many people along the way. Why aren't you coming through for me like you have other people? It's not the miracles that would cause John to doubt. It's not the miracles that would cause John to stumble or fall away. What would cause John to doubt is that there would be no miracle for him. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to John, friend, I'm not going to jailbreak you. John, I'm not sparing your life. Yes, I've done some amazing things for other people, but the path that I've chosen for you is very different. John, you are going to be blessed if this does not cause you to stumble. John, you will be blessed if this does not cause you to fall away from me. As John's friends were heading back to John in prison to tell him how Jesus responded to his question, Jesus says something that not only would have encouraged John and his friends, but I think would encourage you and I as well. In Matthew 11, verse 11, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that amazing? Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. John is days, if not just a few few short weeks away from being executed by King Herod. And he's flooded with all sorts of doubts about Jesus. And what does Jesus say about John? He says there is none who is greater than John the Baptist. See, Jesus is not afraid And he's certainly not offended by our doubts. Remember, they are part of the journey, but they are never the destination. So my question would be, what is the destination? The destination is this, will I trust Jesus? Will I trust Jesus? The destination is a decision that you and I have to make. Will I trust Jesus when things are going really well in my life? But will I also trust Jesus when things are not going so well in my life? You see, if our faith is rooted in a Messiah that will save us from all of painful, frustrating, challenging storms and trials of life, there will be absolutely no end to the doubts that you have in your heart. But if our faith is rooted in a Messiah who saves us from being eternally separated from God forever, if that's where your faith is, well then, no need for doubts because Jesus made a way. There's no need for doubts because Jesus made a way for you and I to have friendship with God both now and forever. The question that John asked Jesus is a phenomenal question. Is Jesus the one? And my challenge, my encouragement to you this morning, if Jesus is not the one, then don't follow Him. If He's not the one, if He's not really the Messiah, if He's not the Christ, the one that brings us into friendship, right relationship with God, then don't follow Him. But if He is the one, if He is the Messiah, then follow Him no matter the cost. There is a cost to following Christ. But if He is the one, then follow Him no matter the cost to you. For John, the cost was his life. If Christ is the Messiah, and I believe with all my heart He is, then follow Him no matter the cost. 
this morning before we end, I want to invite you into a time of reflection. And whether you are watching this by yourself or with your family, or maybe you've got some friends gathered together and you're watching the message that way, we're going to give you five minutes. And we want to invite you to just take this moment, what we'll call a sacred moment, just to reflect on this one question. What doubts are holding you back from following Jesus no matter the cost? What doubts in your heart or mind are holding you back from following Jesus no matter the cost? Take five minutes to reflect on that one question.